Hey, hey, everyone. Just a quick reminder that Brad and I are inviting all of you to join us in the 2017 voyage of the 80s cruise, which, by the way, happens to sponsor this lovely little thing called Stuck in the 80s. I mean, how can you turn down the idea of spending seven days and nights in the Caribbean, especially since it's going to be freezing for most of you? Snow, shoveling, misery. If you're not with us, when we set sail in February. Look, the bands are amazing. Cheap Trick, Howard Jones, Morris Dane, The Time, and seven other amazing acts that, frankly, I don't have the breath to tell you about. But the real fun, I tell you, is everything that happens outside the music venues. Yeah, You seriously cannot miss the killer theme nights. Last year, we had so much fun at the 80s prom, movie costume theme night. It was fantastic. Even though no one figured out who we were. This is not my fault, Spearsy. You would not stand with me. You are off orbiting around, chasing women around the deck. How will they know we're both baggage handlers when you're not anywhere close? Well, at least our outfits were comfortable. Anyway, come with us next year, and we can all figure out each other's costumes ahead of time. And you can save hundreds of dollars when you use the promo code STUCK when booking. Plus, you'll get invited to some special Stuck in Ease events with me and Brad. Um, uh, Steve, is it just me, or are we having a hard time finding a way to start the show this week? feels like we're missing out on some sort of legal endorsement message. I got this. Hi, my name is Commander Jeff Johnston of the U.S. Navy, and I approve this message. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? I gotta send somebody from this squadron to Miramar. I got to do something here. I, I, I still can't believe it. I got to give you your dream shot. I'm going to send you up against the best. You two characters are going to Top Gun. I can see it's dangerous for you. But if the government trusts me, maybe you could takes a lot more than just fancy flying. Ghost is dead. I know. Glad you had long enough. Something like this happens. Here's my real My responsibility. You gotta let him go. still dangerous. You can be my wingman anytime. Bullshit. You can be mine. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today we take a closer look at the movie Top Gun. On its 30th anniversary, is it a classic? The elite. Best of the best. Or an overrated piece of 80s trash? Crash and burn, huh, Mav? Slider. You stink. Brad in LA is here today. Uh, today I'll be known as call sign Showtime, Spearsy. <laughs> Showtime Brad, I love it. But the real surprise today is we're joined by the top naval officer ever to record with Stuck in the 80s. Good morning, gentlemen. The temperature is 110 degrees. Holy shit, it's Piper! Please welcome back Jeff in Cuba. Gentlemen, it is great to be here. I remember the good old days when you used to come in and uh, do your little soliloquy towards the end of every show. Well, you know, I am still Jeff in Cuba, Cuba. And I am still right on just about everything. But now I've been busy. You know, uh, there's a lot going on outside of Cuba, it turns out. You know, back in, <laughs> back in 2009, uh, you know, I retired uh, from the Navy, uh, which is a huge party down in Cuba. Rubik's Cube came down and played at my retirement ceremony. Oh, my uh, gosh, that's awesome. Ceremony. It was insane. Uh, and then I was off in Germany for about four years uh, working for the Army. 
um, which was also uh, fun and exciting. Uh, and now I found myself in the uh, comfortable climb of Columbia, South Carolina, still working for the Army, uh, still uh, taking care of the nation's defense in a slightly less involved way as a civilian, um, and still very much stuck in the 80s, even if I may not be quite into it as much as I used to be. So my apologies for that. That's well, okay. Just glad to have you back. Come back into the <laughs> tent with us. Do you, do you miss being in the Navy? Um, yes and no. Uh, uh, certainly, you know, your, your, your life changes and, and uh, you, know, you move on, you get new things going on. Uh, but every now and then, uh, not so much the business of the Navy, uh, but certainly the camaraderie of the Navy. Mm. That's something that uh, is difficult to replicate elsewhere. Look, man, I know it's tough for you. I wouldn't let you in the academy because you're Duke Mitchell's kid. You have to live with that reputation. It's like every time we go up there, it's like you're flying against a ghost. Well, obviously we had you, for people who are not historians of Stuck in the 80s, uh, Jeff first joined us back in 2008, was it, for the uh, Red Scare in the 80s podcast, or was it 2008? Eight, no, eight years ago, 2008. Wow. And uh, that was an epic uh, show that we had a lot of fun doing. So when we noticed that Top Gun was about to turn 30, uh, Brad and I immediately thought, we have to have Jeff and Cuba back. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you still remember me. <laughs> <laughs> I, st- I still have the T-shirt you gave me. Uh, for uh, Outstanding. So anyway, um, so Top Gun turns 30 years old this month. And ultimately today um, – we have not come here to uh, bury Caesar, but to praise him or to praise and bury him. I don't know. I've got my shovel. <laughs> the point of today's podcast is we're going to determine, hopefully, whether Top Gun is a classic heart-pumping action flick or whether it's a cheesy, worm-ridden corpse of a movie or perhaps something in between. You know, when I first realized that going to Top Gun, all I could think about was getting that trophy. i got to be straight with you, Matt. Right now, I just hope we graduate. Uh, as we all know from our reading, the Cold War tale of a Navy aviator falling for his instructor at an elite military fighting school was the top-grossing film of 1986. It was it, huge. <laughs> it was huge. It solidified Tom Cruise as one of the top action film actors of the decade, uh, and it's hot red blood-pumping anthemic tombs turned Kenny Loggins into the king of the 80s soundtracks. Uh, but first, let's get this out of the way. Who remembers seeing this movie in the theaters? Oh, I do. Most definitely. Um, uh, May of 1986, saw it in the theaters five days after I joined the Navy. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. So that was like a big stamp. Hell yeah, on those papers. You know, I I want to say that I sat there with some cool detachment and was able to understand that what I just joined was not what I was watching on the screen. Uh, But something tells me that... uh, 22-year-old Jeff probably did not have that level of foresight. So I was probably getting a little too excited about uh, what I was going to be doing um, than I probably needed to be. But yeah, it was... uh, was, I'm going splashing MIGs. (laughs) Yeah, it was... Yeah, No one walks out of Top Gun thinking, I'm going to go chip me some paint on a battleship. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to... Yeah. I, I have to ask the question. So when you joined the Navy, what is it that you wanted to do in the Navy? What was your goal? All what? right. Oh, this is going to sound so, so lame. Um, uh, I have uh, wanted to be in the public works business as long as I could remember ever wanting to do anything. Um, just the, the idea of the infrastructure that makes things work has always fascinated me. And the Navy um, gave me an opportunity to get into that very, very quickly uh, at a very high level while I was very young. So I joined the Navy uh, to take care of its infrastructure. Uh, a detail that I guess was left on the cutting room floor of Top Gun. Yeah, you, you don't never see a saw, lot of logistics guys. In no, you don't sense. see a lot of that uh, you know, runway pavement analysis going on. A critical <laughs> part of the plot, really. Supply I mean, chain the whole movie falls, for the ammunition. The whole movie falls apart. Uh, without quality asphaltic concrete. Yeah. What do you mean run. we're not? At, what do you mean we don't have any steam? We'll get some uh, steam. <laughs> but no, that's that's what I joined to do. So I, knew, I, I mean, even twenty-two-year-old Jeff knew that I was not going to be uh, uh, driving around on a motorcycle with Kelly McGillis on the handlebars anytime soon. <laughs> but still, 
uh, you know, when you when you sign up to a uh, an enterprise that large and see it presented in such a uh, grandiose way, not not half bad, yeah. not half bad. I mean, did you play some volleyball at some point? I mean, that that's always out there. I actually, I actually uh, was an all Navy volleyball player. Yes, I played a lot of volleyball. Awesome. Uh, four years in Hawaii. Uh, it wasn't quite as gay as the volleyball and Top Gun. <laughs> well, it, it's very little that is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sure, we were out there in our pink pumps and, you know, but it still wasn't as gay as Top Gun. Anyway. <laughs> I, th- I think if I think I think going back in time, if they could just take that one scene out, people's opinions of this movie would would go up about 20 percent. <sighs> OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I, I just saying. I don't know. I what do I know? Anyway, Brad, tell us about uh, the first so time I, you saw this movie. Yeah, I saw this in the theater. It would have been that summer. Um, I saw it with a couple friends from college. Cause it was between our freshman and sophomore year, I think. Um, I don't really remember much about it other than coming out just being like, yeah, "America, we got this," you know. And my friend, one of my friends, who's with me, his dad was a. Uh, uh, you know, some kind of connection to the military industrial complex through the Southern California, uh, you know, industry. And he was like, Oh, my dad is going to really hate on this. The wing sweeps are wrong and uh, this and that. And I'm like, who cares? That's a fun movie. Hey, Goose, you big dad. That's me, honey. Take me to bed or lose me forever. Show me the way home. honey. I want to say I was one of the last people to see it. I was in Gainesville. Um, and I, I I saw it on a date, and I think I told the story once before on Stuck in the Eighties. But um, so I may, if memory serves, my memory doesn't serve anymore. So if I might get some of the details wrong from the original time I told it. I took out this girl from English class, and I remember it was at mostly empty theater. So I think it had been playing for quite some time at that point. It was in the theaters forever. Yeah. Okay. So it might it might have even been fall of eighty seven by the time I uh, of eighty six by the time I saw it. Sure. And um, so I asked this girl out. It was my first. They're really, really splashing out on the date, going to the dollar movie for the stuff that's been <laughs> out. Be. For- no, 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 no. I'm a t- I, <laughs> so this is the first date I ever went on in college. Um, what? It, it was. Come on. The first real date. I mean, when you You've first been there a college, year. I, I know, but the first year in college, you don't date anybody. You just kind of well, hook up at parties. I didn't, but that's because I was working 40 hours a week uh, well, and I, I just, never saw anybody, but. I just hooked up at parties. I mean, there was there was no point of going. Why would I go on a date with somebody when I could just go to a party? Okay, and, okay. I was concerned for your social life. No, no, it was my social okay. life was just fine. Okay, good, good. But um, so this girl though, um, I, I asked her out. I took her to Red Lobster for dinner. I remember that. Oh, which was the so sign of being serious. That's that's pretty big. That's like uh, taking her to the Palms uh, Steakhouse in our era. Um, the uh, her mom was in town that weekend. And I'm like, no, no, we're not going to go out if your mom's in town. That's just rude. You should hang out with your mom. She's like, no, my mom's so happy I'm on a date. She actually offered to buy us a bottle of liquor. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember this story. (laughs) And so she's like, what should I get? I'm like, tell her to get a bottle of Jim Beam, which was at that time the go-to bourbon for, you know, Kids who it are, had the yeah, it had the white label with the black letter. It must be good. You know, you're 18 years old. You're lucky to have liquor to begin with. So. It's got that red seal in the middle of it. Oh gosh, I know that my be, I know my sh- liquor bottles way too well. That should be Jim Beam's uh, motto. <laughs> you sh- you're just lucky to have whiskey to begin with. <laughs> and um, so she gets. So I go to pick her up at her dorm, and she shows me the bottle, and it's a bottle of Jim Beam Rye. Which, oh God! Oh no! Which yes. we can drink rye now because we're well, adults. I actually do drink rye. Right, now, and you but... bought me a bottle of rye when you came uh, over to to see me yeah. for the uh, '80s cruise. But rye is something that's an acquired taste. It's like right. Yeah, rye is not gateway booze. No, no. no. But that's, that's what we had. That's for professionals. That's varsity level drinking right there. So <laughs> we went. We saw them. We had our we had our stuff flounder at uh, Red Lobster, which I'm almost certain is what I ordered. And then uh, it wasn't any sort of metaphor, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the lady will have the coat with no ice. And we, we saw the movie. I love the movie. I thought it was great. I, now, granted, you know, this is 1986 and you don't see movies on TV every day. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't even know that I had a VCR at that point. So any movie, any movie start to finish without commercials is considered to be a, a luxury. 
Um, and where was the where was this bottle of rye? Back in her movie? dorm room. Back in her dorm room. So All right. we go Aging. back. Yeah. <laughs> so we go. Movie's over. So we've all been fed. It's time to go back uh, to her room. So we go back to her room, and we try to drink the rye, and it just it does not go down. It just doesn't go down. Um, and then the night kind of uh, devolved uh, from that point. Devolution is real, Steve. Yeah, it was real. I don't want to go into it. Um, I'll, I'll let you. I let people go hunt and peck and find the original story somewhere, but it, it ended with her lecturing me in front of an elevator full of people. So, oh, not good. Her, her your date, or her your date's mom? No, date. I never met her. Uh, her mom, but oh, okay. it is a big deal, and it does happen to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyway, suffice to say, I, I I have mixed feelings about the first time I saw the movie, uh, but I did enjoy the stuff flounder. If you don't mind, I'm I'm gonna just take a quick shower while you're finishing up here. <laughs> yeah, I do mind. I'm hungry. Um, here are a few quick factoids about the movie that can't be debated. <clears throat> Top Gun released May 16, 1986, uh, directed by the late Tony Scott, who uh, left us in 2012. Yeah. Uh, Tony is the younger brother of Ridley Scott. Uh, Tony's other movies were uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days of Thunder, Crimson Tide, any movie that involved people standing around sweating. Uh, it was <laughs> the top grossing film of 86, as I said before. But can anyone name the other movies in the top 10 that year? It's a weird collection. Well, the fact that Top Gun is number one would be an indication of the crap fest that would follow from two to ten. <laughs> yeah, it was not, that's what we call not a strong year, right? Well, I, I, I disagree. Uh, okay. Well, okay, I look at the list. I don't dis... Uh, you know, go here, ahead. Let, go let ahead. Me just, let I'm, wa- I'm waiting. Yeah, number like, two. Number eight as the, as the reason <laughs> that I think... Okay. The- counterfeits the whole list i've said many times i thought the 80s died in 1985 and and, and this show is not going to change anyone's opinion of that uh number two crocodile dundee good night mick dundee from australia how are you crocodile dundee was number two. Oh my gosh you call that <laughs> yeah. a list this is a list okay number three platoon feeling good's good enough okay, okay. Platoon. Which, okay. great movie but not exactly you know box office bonanza you would mm-hmm. think uh, number four, The Karate Kid Part Two. Live or die, man. Die. die. I like part. I like Part Two. I, you know, I I like it, but I think what I like best about it is how it picks up right after the end of the first one. What overlaps, just like the Rocky movies do. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, <laughs> if that's the best thing you can say, I don't know, man. It has the glory of love by Peter Cetera. Yeah, yeah uh, Peter Cetera. Go get you some of that, Peter. Yeah. Uh, number five, Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. I am from what on your calendar would be the late 23rd century. I've come back in time to bring two humpback whales with me in an attempt to repopulate the species. Well, why didn't you just say so? I mean, why all the coy disguises? <sighs> okay. I like the whale. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Double dumbass on you. <laughs> yeah. Number six, back to school. You remember that thing we had about 30 years ago called that Korean conflict? Yeah, where we failed to achieve victory. How come we didn't cross the 38th parallel and push those rice eaters back to the Great Wall of China and take the first big break and nuke them back into the Stone Age River? How come? Tell me why. Say it. Say it. All right. I'll say it. Because Truman was too much of a pussy wimp to let MacArthur go in there and blow out those cummy bastards. Good answer. Uh, I, I love that movie. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, you know, flunk me, flunk you. Uh, I mean, uh, Dangerfield, Kinnison, uh, Kurt Vonnegut cameo. Kurt Von- I mean, yeah, and another thing, Vonnegut. I'm canceling the check. <laughs> <laughs> but, but not anything that they'll be studying studying at the UCLA Film School anytime soon. No, it's funny because I was I, I was just talking about this movie with the kids the other night. I said, you know, I think it's time for you to watch some movies that will give you an unrealistic expectation of what college is going to be like instead of about high school. Ooh, <laughs> now that would be a great podcast. 80s movies that give you an unrealistic view of colleges. Uh, pretty much every movie. It's is pretty yeah. much every movie. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the it's dorm a- room thing. Like, oh, yeah, they just let me knock three walls out. Sure, that would happen. <laughs> Number seven, 
Number seven is Aliens. Game over, man. It's game over. Yeah. Number eight, The Golden Child. I said, I, 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 I want the knife. There you go. So, no more so calls. Dumb. We have a winner. So dumb. Number so nine. Bad. Number nine is Ruthless People. Hello. Debbie? Yeah, Debbie's here. Who's this? Well, Ralph, uh, Debbie can't talk right now. My dick's in her mouth. How about if I ever call you back when I'm done? Uh, yeah, I like Ruthless People. But but see me, it doesn't feel like a number nine. But it's not a top ten movie. No, no. And it, and it certainly doesn't belong above other movies on this list. The AK, other- what you mean by that is AKA number 10, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's over. Go home. Uh, there you go. What is wrong with you, America? <laughs> what was wrong with this? This is our fault. I thought I understood you. Um, yeah, well, you just can't see people going to the multiplex and walking past Ferris Bueller to go check out the golden child. Yeah. I, 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 I want the knife. Now turn on the goddamn lights. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Top Gun maintains a very sketchy 55% fresh ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. But the late film critic Roger Ebert sums up the movie's uh, enduring appeal almost perfectly. And, and this is where we're stuck at today. Quote, movies like Top Gun are hard to review because the good parts are so good and the bad parts are so relentless. Unquote. Well, it's not something the State Department tells dependents when the battle occurred over the wrong line on some map. So let's talk about what works in the movie. Anyone have a first uh, shot across the bow? Mm. Well, I would tell you that it's, you know, it hits all the great action movie tropes of heroes and villains and peril and, and you know, and we kicked it around during the Red Scare podcast. It just, you know, it just ticks a lot of boxes that in a you know, Reagan era, 80s uh, uh, sort of way. Uh, yeah, Cold War. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it just made it just it hit nice, easy. It was comfort food cinema. You, you went in and you got exactly what you thought you needed. Yeah. Which is probably why it was the number one movie of the year. Right. Yeah. If it doesn't hit those number, if it doesn't hit those boxes, people aren't going to go see it. Right. Well, it was perfect because in the sense that. The villains, essentially, well, there's two sets of villains. There's, they're the Russians that you never see. Faceless. Yeah. Faceless. Faceless. And not Russians, not sure, no real. There's just know. a red star. Hmm, yeah. Maybe they're maybe Chinese. Chinese squadron. Maybe or, North Koreans. Yeah. It was, yeah, I think if it was in the North Koreans, they'd have been in biplanes. <laughs> um, and there's a second set of villains, which is essentially, uh, you could kind of say the Iceman is a villain to some extent. Maybe more a rival. But he's a foil, more of a yeah. foil than a villain. Jester to some degree. A jerk, maybe, but okay. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a that's kind of a, you tell me, Jeff. I haven't served in the military, but that's kind of the the commanding officer who's going to push you and not be nice to you. That seems a little tropey, but probably happens quite a bit. Uh, I will tell you that the armed forces of these great United States are large enough that they pretty much mimic the demographics of these great United States with the Makes same. Sense. With the same percentages of jerks and uh, other ne'er do wells as you would find anywhere else. Okay, so, well that's fair. That's fair. So that that guy in your office who punches your buttons, and there'll be a guy in your squadron who punches your buttons too. Yeah, well, that's life, I suppose. Can, can we all kind of agree that there's some good chemistry between Goose and Maverick? Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's I mean, a good. That's pair. what. That's what military movies. That that's tro- you know stock and trade in military movies. That bond. You got to uh, have some buddy in the buddy movie. Yeah. Is yeah. there is there a military movie that has better buddy chemistry than Top Gun? Outside of Stripes. Oh, <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> I just I, I see just... why we had you back. <laughs> um, I don't know. I haven't seen Big Red One in a long time. Yeah. You know, there, are there like no squadrons? But, they're one squadron. They're all kind of together, but I wouldn't say that there's any like this guy and that guy. Yeah. No, and and yeah, one of the things that has always frosted my flakes about Top Gun is is how they make it so individual. I mean, I think anyone who's spent any time in the military knows that it is anything but uh, an individual endeavor. Uh, yeah. So the idea that uh, 
you know, that, that Goose and Maverick have got this thing that they need to do themselves to prove themselves against these other guys who are doing, you know, uh, believe me, Goose and Mavericks are not out there running the preventer maintenance checks on that F-14 before they fly it. I mean, there's a lot of people <laughs> yeah. involved right, in yeah. getting this done. And so that's, so while it's great chemistry and it makes for great movies, it certainly doesn't ring true uh, in a military sense as to you know there's there's a great team spirit in most military units but it extends beyond you and the guy next to you You're, you may be the pointy tip of the spear but there's a lot of guys behind you yes yes anyway the um, the soundtrack for this movie I mean it's hard to it's hard to argue that it's not one of the better soundtracks of the 80s I, I think we, we get back to you know if you take playing with the boys out it's perfect but you know, maybe that's the flaw that makes it perfect. And the only reason playing with the boys doesn't work now is that all that greasy volleyball is just burned into our corneas, <laughs> and this Pavlovian response whenever we hear it. I was working it's on not the, that bad of a song. That isn't. I was working on the um, the year end video for my son's high school volleyball team a couple weeks ago, and actually Carol Jansen suggested that I use that song for the soundtrack. <laughs> like I, they would kill me if I did that. Are they, are they aware of it? Are, are kids yeah, today aware enough, of that? Has enough time? Has enough time? I don't know that they would recognize it. The parents would. From what I understand, the Navy enjoyed this movie and that and that enrollment was up like ridiculous after the movie came out is that correct oh yeah uh it, it was an enormous recruiting tool um as you could imagine um like i said there are many many folks who saw top gun uh, marched out of the theater down to a local re- recruiting office and then six months later as they were chipping paint on a battleship uh, <laughs> wait, wait that, that this part was wait a second um when do i when do I get to go to Kelly McGillis's house? Yeah, I, I, I'm stuck in the top bunk of the, the stack of three here. I can barely get up and down that thing. What the heck? So let me, let me tell you something about Kelly McGillis's house. It's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I show I show up at Kelly McGillis's house. I'm a little late, I admit it, but I was playing with the boys, as we can already call. Oh, all and I you needed do, a shower. All I want to do is take a shower, and she won't let me. She won't let me take a goddamn shower. Instead, I have to eat what looks like is the worst meal of all time while listening to Sitting by the Dock of the Bay on Endless Repeat. Uh, well, you know, I'm, that, there's, there's talk about things that don't work. That romance is uh, – <laughs> uh, okay. okay, so we've, yeah. we've talked about what works. And obviously, we're all itching to talk about what doesn't work. So um, without any uh, hesitation, um, Brad's already kind of started it. Brad, what doesn't work in this movie, according to you? Those two don't have any chemistry. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, and I think uh, Roger Ebert actually said something in his review about, you know, McGillis was so good in Witness. Like, what what happened? Was she just phoning it in for the check here? Uh, that's just crazy. Um, the other thing, I... I the competition that is kind of laid out for the um, the pilots at Top Gun School, that didn't seem like the kind of thing that you would really be doing in the military. Like, don't you want to all go kill people together, not make well, sure I, I kill people and you don't? Yeah, the the school, a fighter weapons school, which is now, I guess, fighter attack strike school up in Fallon, Nevada. Uh, the, the premise was is that they would bring pilots in from every squadron, teach them a lot of stuff, and that those pilots would then go back to their squadron and teach their buddies how to do it. So it's train the trainer kind train of. Train the trainer, you know, uh, and this was not like, oh, I'll, I'll make you, I'm, I'm going to send you back so you can lord it over all the other <laughs> in your battalion. You know, we got cake every day. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you essentially make it, it's like, you know, it's like, hey, let's, we're all going to go to, let's get laid school. And so we can be that much cooler than everybody else. And yeah. that's not how it works. And, I, and I, as far as uh, Cruz and McGillis, okay. All right, they don't have chemistry. They don't have, they don't have geometry. All right, they just because she's so much taller than he is. If you, if you guys watch the movie scene by scene, the woman is never standing straight up. 
she's she's leaning over she's leaning back she's on the on leaning on the uh on the sink in the bathroom she's kind of leaning down over uh tom's desk she's leaning back on her uh convertible uh they're just every possible you know everything short of having her you know like standing in a <laughs> lie <trench> down <laughs> to make, just hide the fact that she's a good six seven inches taller yeah a lot uh, taller. Than tom cruise I don't know. I watched this movie, and uh, like I said, I enjoyed it in the 80s when I first saw it. But now I see it, and it's like, this is like a, a feature-length Voltron cartoon. I mean, it is such a formula. And I'm not going to say it's a crap movie, because I think it's a fun movie. But it's just, it's silly. It's just silly. Yeah, I, I, I you know, how much worse would the movie be without the romantic subplot? Does anyone think that her appearing next to the jukebox at the end is the big payoff of the movie? Clearly not. No. Uh, Clearly not. Well. They shoot down the bad guys. Everyone, they get the five. You could be my wingman. Yeah. The whole homoerotic bromance thing on the carrier deck. Take your lion back to the cave. We've made Voltron and used the flaming sword. Now we're done. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to stand up here. I'm going to have to interject here, but I, I do buy into the whole end. I love the idea that in the end, he's the big hero. He, he can take any gig he wants, and he says he wants to be an instructor. And, and uh, uh, Stryker's like, oh, my God, you're going to Top Gun. God help us all. And he goes back there. And then she shows up and gives his lines to him again. And it just kind of ends on that beautiful note. With, uh, you know, you lost that loving feeling. I totally buy into that. Now, the scene at the very end where the two uh, fighter planes are kind of going off into the sky together and kind of like playing with each other as some sort of like sort of weird pigeon sex thing, that I don't get. (laughs) That's corny. But up until then, I'm like, I'm on board. You're so sentimental, Steve. Oh, my. Okay. Terribly, pigeon terribly sex, sorry. Pigeon sex may not have been the two best words I used in the podcast, but <clears throat> I may I may yeah. uh, live to regret it. Um, the thing that kind of irks me now is when I do the research for the show and I'm looking at some of the trivia for the show. And because you kind of think you look back on it, you're like, well, it's a Tom Cruise movie. Of course, it's a Tom Cruise movie. And it's. It seems to be – there doesn't seem to be anything out of place. Like it seems like a movie perfectly set in 1986. And why would anybody have any problems with it? But the truth was a lot of people had problems with it before it was made. There was a lot of people who were attached to this project who pulled out because they mm. said the movie glorified war. Um, among some of those, Matthew Modine, uh, Linda Fiorentino, Brian Adams, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, there were – other people like Ali Sheedy and Judas Priest who simply passed on it because they thought a movie about fighter pilots would be a bust. Um, huh. There well, were – Ever saw Tora, Tora, Tora? Yeah, well, think, think back to 1986 when we are now you know, sneaking up on 20 – you know, about 10, 15 years past Vietnam. We still haven't had Gulf War One yet. So the whole idea of a, of a shooting war uh, was still relatively abstract. Um, the, the, the only, you know, the taste Hollywood had in its mouth was still from Vietnam. And, and really, you know, that was the year the platoon came out. So we're talking, that's just when Hollywood is now starting to yeah, you know, right. process that. We could just so the idea to do that a, story. Yeah. 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 The idea to come out with a, with a kind of a rah, rah, uh, war movie was pushing hard against the tide. Right. Now, if if you you know nineteen ninety two post Gulf War one, oh you could get you could have got that movie made in a second. Yeah, you know, but just you know, open it with Whitney Houston singing the national anthem at the Super Bowl, and then you know, go right yeah. into it. There's something else so. about the, there's something else about this movie that kind of I didn't quite realize until I did the research. Um, it turns out that there are a lot of things about this movie that people have quibbled about um, for its. Uh, Realism. Uh, one of the things that we've already covered, allegedly um, the Top Gun Flight School doesn't even have a trophy for the top uh, pilot in his rear because the training, as you said, is designed. It's not, re- it's not rear, Spears. 
spending too much time playing volleyball with those guys. It's Rio, R-I-O, Radar Intercept Officer. Oh, Not I always thought it was Rear. No, Rio, R-I-O. As in the Speedwagon. Yeah. <laughs> As in Speedwagon with a different vowel. Okay. Right. Why, why, why would I say Rear? Anyway. Well, I think <laughs> you and your therapist know exactly why you would say that. Oh! Right, that's bad. We'll leave that, we'll leave that there. Um, and and I'm, I'm counting on Jeff to correct me on all the rest of these things. Um, there are several scenes with Maverick walking outdoors without a cap or a hat. And from what I understand, that's not done in the Navy or Marines. Uh, 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 um, beg to differ a bit on that one. Certainly walking around in uniform without out, outdoors without some sort of a cover is uh, is not done. However, huh, uh, anytime you're around the flight line, anytime, anytime you're around uh, uh, aircraft, uh, you got a, no covers on the flight line. That uh, those aircraft are way too expensive to have them gooned up because somebody's uh, cap got sucked into the intakes. Oh, so, sure, uh, no, no, <laughs> that makes sense. Hats on flight. But uh, yeah, just you know, uh, uh, cruising okay. on everywhere else, you'll see it anytime. Uh, Navy, Marine Corps, uh, anyone steps outside, they're immediately fishing around to get their cover on. So, um, okay, all right. Next thing to be debunked. Um, allegedly, the term bogey is misused throughout the movie. According to uh, what I've read, a bogey is an unidentified aircraft. Once identified, it is either referred to as a friendly for a friendly aircraft, a bandit for a non-friendly aircraft, or a hostile for a non-friendly aircraft that may be fired at. What do you think, Jeff? I think you're horribly pedantic is what I think, but I, I can't argue with it. I mean, that, that, that doesn't trouble me as much as uh, the, the silliness of, oh, we have an aircraft carrier halfway around the world and we've got a problem, so let's send six pilots over there because apparently right. their yeah. whole flight wing has the chicken pox. Oh, that, you just, that, that's just a plot problem. That's not It's a, silly. It's silly. That's silly. The rest yeah, of but that's it. a plot. Th- I'm, I'm willing to excuse a plot issue. So, uh, well, yeah. why can't they just attack San Diego? That would have been more convenient. Yeah, we would have read about that one. Uh, <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> well, maybe they're off. Maybe they're attacking the tuna fleet. They're offshore. Yeah. Okay. Next, next uh, factoid uh, discrepancy. Uh, Viper tells Maverick uh, that's not something the State Department tells dependents about when the battle occurred over the wrong line on some map, uh, in reference to the death of Maverick's father. Uh, while this is technically correct, um, I, this is, of course, according to my reading, is only correct because the State Department is in no way involved in the process of forming military dependence on the death of service members. Uh, Jeff? Gonna, going to take some exception with this one as well, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the actions of the United States government overseas are purely, purely the responsibility of the State Department. And when we talk about something that happens on the wrong side of a line, uh, perchance in a country that we're not at war with, um, while the Defense Department is in fact the one who talks to the dependents, they are only allowed to say what the State Department allows them to say. So if Maverick's father was, uh, in fact, shot down on the wrong side of a border, as is implied, the State Department would, in fact, tell the Defense Department, terribly sorry, but uh, you will not be telling the family what happened yeah. because that would embarrass the government of the United States. I can I have been personally involved in a number of cases where very, very senior military personnel were told what they could or could not do by the ambassador of a, a U.S. ambassador to a given country. Because ultimately, uh, the ambassador and the State Department have the final say about what that government does in those countries. Oh, interesting. That is part. That is part of the civilian control of the military that makes this country so wonderful. I, we're going to give you a, a five question quiz later in the podcast about this movie, but because we've talked about Maverick's father in this one, who can name uh, the full name of Maverick's father? Um, George C. Maverick Senior. <laughs> I think was his call sign Duke or was his name Duke? Well, um, the only information we have is Duke Mitchell. So. It's Mitchell. I do the Mitchell part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm unclear as to that was his name or if that was his call sign. Okay. Um, and the the last um, discrepancy that I've read about in the final engagement when Maverick says he is supersonic, uh, the next shot shows his F-14s with the wings in the extended position. 
For an F-14 to be traveling at supersonic speeds, the wings would have to be in a swept back position. Yeah, this is the stuff that my friend was talking about when we walked out of the movie in 1986. And I'm like, who cares? Plane, <laughs> yeah. flying, shooting people down, hit the brakes, go right by. Okay, well, here's, here's, here's what I can tell you from a, from, you know, a strict flight engineering standpoint. All right, you take off with your, with your tips out. And at some point, the plane, on its own, will pull them back when the throttle response and speed indicate it's time for them to come back. So when Maverick took off, when he was when that cat shot, he had his tips out, and then he said, "All right, I'll be there. I'm going supersonic." Maybe he said it early. Maybe he's not the sharpest cradle in the box. Maybe he's going to go pick up. Uh, maybe he's going maybe for a cherry limeade his, at the supersonic. Maybe he's on his way to supersonic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, bottom line is, if he was indeed supersonic, the the, the wings would be swept. But uh, yeah, that's you know that's more probably more of a stock footage error yeah. than it is. I have, I have way less problem with that than I do with the both catapults are down. Yeah, and I talked about that on the Red Scare podcast. Yeah, that I, that is the most incensed I've ever been uh, about a movie. Well, in, like people would be committing ritual suicide if both their are, catapults were down. No, I mean. Not not to mention there are four catapults on a uh, Nimitz-class aircraft carrier, so the fact that two are down is not necessarily the crisis uh, that it that seems. presented to be. But well, there, again, there are, are hundreds and hundreds of people who dedicate their lives to the fact that the catapults will not down ever. So You just can't anticipate, though, Luke Wilson trying to kick a football off the, at the tip of the aircraft carrier with a catapult, though. That, that, that kind of stuff happens all the time does it really <laughs> time to take out the trash yes Thump. yeah <laughs> folks, are, folks are constantly chucking uh just chucking stuff off the ship via the catapults because it's so hilarious uh you know guys guys retiring so after his last flight you put his boots on the catapult and heave him into the ocean uh you know uh, you know copy machine that finally breaks no one can fix it so you go all office space on it put it on the catapult and just chuck it out there oh that's funny <laughs> well we're going to reserve our final verdict on uh, top gun until the end of the show uh in the meantime my wings are now in the swept back position so that you know what that means it's time for the, the seggies los seggies <laughs> Ah, the mystical sounds of reader mailbag. Uh, we have three letters this week, but they're short, so uh, Brad's going to try to handle it for us because God knows what happens when I try to read the emails. Yeah, that's all behind the behind the curtain, but yeah. It's bad. It takes a while to edit those sometimes, but that's okay. <laughs> I love you, man. You're my brother. I got your back. First email is from Christian Lopez. Well, let me take it from there, Steve. Christian writes, Hi, Steve and Brad. Just listened to your latest show about April Fool's Day with your extra special guest, and I had to write. Debbie Foreman is such a sweet-sounding person. I've really enjoyed both the times she's been on the show. Perhaps I'm speaking out of turn here, but in listening to Debbie and Spearsy, I get a feeling that the two of them might very well match each other. It's too bad the two of you are on opposite coasts. Seriously, I wonder if you two wouldn't be able to make a go of it. You sound, to me at least, like you might be a good match. What do you think, Christian Lopez? Ah, uh, I like the cut of your jib, Christian Lopez. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to have to take the uh, part of Laurence Jameson on this one. Don't you ever have an emotion that originates above the waist? No. All right, Freddie, I'll bet. But I'm, I'm not competing to win. I'm just betting that you fail. Loser leaves town. Loser leaves town. I, I sent this uh, email to Debbie, actually. Part of the Spearsonian strategy of, like, you know, planting the apple seeds. And um, she wrote Good back. God, with, man. Did you, did you send her a note that said, do you like me? Check one. <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> oh, Jeff, you can come back can't on anytime believe, you like. Can't believe you are passing notes. Well, I, I did. I Hi, I can't muster up the cojones to ask you out. But look, here's an email supposedly written by someone else oh, who on. thinks we'd be great together. Oh, <laughs> let's, let's all oh. be serious. Let's be serious now. Uh, there's no way. I, I mean, uh, it's called St. Louis. 
equidistant from both coasts. You could both meet there under the gateway arch. It's a no, freaking she... Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks movie waiting to happen. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I'd buy a ticket well, for that one. This, this needs to marinate a little longer. Send more emails to Steve so we can forward them to other women. Oh. Anyway, she she wrote back and oh, said... Oh, Jeff, it's been nice uh, having you. Okay. <laughs> Here's what she wrote to me back. Ha, 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 Spears, cute. That's it. Friend zoned. I know. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Friend zoned. That's okay. Now I feel even worse than the whole defending the volleyball scene thing. Oh. So. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next letter from Alexander Peter. Okay. Alexander Peter writes, Hey, guys. I enjoyed the latest podcast, and you mentioned you were thinking about doing a podcast about the movie, Just One of the Guys. I have fond memories of this movie. Well, one scene. I didn't see this movie in the theaters. I was nine when it came out. Well, okay. Someone's paying <laughs> no, attention to the ratings when they send their kid to the theater. However, I think I saw it when I was 11 or 12 when it was playing on HBO. <laughs> because that's so much better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it was the first time I saw breasts on TV. It changed my life forever. <laughs> As I think about it, HBO in the 80s was great. As the son of an engineer, we got HBO for free thanks to the coffee can antenna. Brad can probably tell you about these. Yes, I can. That's on my other podcast, Nerd Hobbies of the 80s. Uh, as my dad always said, if they didn't want us to watch it for free, they would scramble their signal. I had some older siblings, and I think HBO was on more than MTV. Whenever the HBO promo began with the overview zooming over the city and flying into the logo, you knew you were in for some awesome movies. Hopelessly stuck in the HBO of the 80s, Alex Peter. So what's a coffee can antenna? Uh, it's a, what does it sound like? It's an antenna. with the, You use the coffee can. You put the element in the center. Well, no, actually, you put the element in the side, and you basically point the coffee can. It's a directional antenna. You point the coffee can at the source you want to pick up. Um, they were popular, probably you would see them more, this is, oh, this is so dorky, you'd see them more maybe 10 years ago as Wi-Fi antennas to try and sniff your neighbor's open Wi-Fi. Yeah. So you didn't have to pay for an internet connection, you could use your neighbor's. Huh. Not that now I they're, now they're, more pring, they're more Pringles cans. You can make them out of Pringles yes. cans too, but the coffee can, the metal will work a little better. Works better. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, jeez. Yeah, so, you know, you guys want to know more about that? Just write me. We could talk about that. We could talk about Dungeons and Dragons. We could talk about never leaving your room. Oh, speaking of, never, speaking of never leaving your room in Dungeons and Dragons, I hear your son has been invited to a Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, he has. He's joined a group. I'm so happy for him. Oh. He's bought his own dice and everything. He's a real nerd now. <laughs> and those beatings will make him so tough. You know, it's, it's a weird dichotomy because the kid's a varsity athlete and a super nerd. There you go. Yeah. You got to be all those things these days. It's a new world, my friends. It's a new world. Yep. Anyway, uh, one final email from Christine in Philly. Christine writes, hey, Brad and Steve, just got done listening to the Deborah Foreman interview. Boy, does she have a potty mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening at work with my headphones on and I kept cringing like others could hear what I was listening to. It was good. I've always loved her since the first time I saw Valley Girl, one of my favorite 80s movies. The 80s crew sounds like so much fun. Uh, let me just put it aside. was an amazing, amazing time. Anyway, Christine continues. Like I said, I sailed on that ship in June, and it was nice. I'm going to get a quote and see if it's feasible. But if I don't make it, you'll have to get the recipe for their Blue Moon cocktail. It was so good. I keep trying to duplicate it at home. I can't quite get it right. Great show as always. See you around, Christine and Philly. You know, one thing we didn't talk about in the Debbie Foreman podcast, I don't know why, but... Um there's many times when she referred to uh, the guys in L.A. or a bunch of pussies. I, I think she says it three or four times. And Brad, if I recall. I bristled a little at that. Yeah. <laughs> we were very upset. But we didn't really get around to covering it in the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, come on. And, uh, I feel she, like it's she, probably too broad a brush. It, it, it's a broad brush. But she lives in Big Bear Lake, which is, what, three hours away? Yeah. Yeah. It's, at least. That's, that's a long drive. I wouldn't date somebody – who Neither would I. Hours away. Katie would never allow it. <laughs> <laughs> I just wouldn't. It's it's too it's too far of a drive, and it's oh, yeah. too close for to buy a, a plane ticket. It's geographically undesirable. I mean, there's yeah. a reason that's a thing. Um. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. You two. This is so sad. Listen, this is so sad. You got sour grapes on the east coast. You got hurt feelings on the west coast. Uh, I don't like being called Nate. Nobody calls me chicken. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. Uh, as always, we love your emails. Um, we haven't had, you know, we haven't had in a while. We haven't had a good um, uh, time. Uh, it's been a couple shows. Podcast. Yeah. And I got that whole special intro put together for those too. I want to use that. I actually, um, I was in a protracted phone call with my mom the other day, and I told her about the whole um, Time Machine podcast concept that we do where we offer people a seat on a time machine if, they, if they'll exchange with us the story of what they want to go back and fix. Yeah. So I told her my story about what I wanted to go back and fix. And, um, uh, you and know, what the, did mom the, say? The, it was the, you know, obviously most people know it's this pinup ballet girl and stuff and the, standing outside her door for three hours. First, she ridiculed me. <gasps> oh, being no. outside the door for three hours. And oh. then she's like, you've been divorced twice and that's what you want to go back and fix? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> that's some tough love right there. So anyway. Then I so, tried to get, so you've taken mom out of the will. I understand. Yeah. I tried to get out of her what her time machine uh, story would be. And she, she didn't have an answer, but she said she'd get back to me. She so said, I want to go back 10 minutes and not have this conversation. <laughs> yeah, that might, that would be a very reasonable answer. Um, <laughs> as always, we love your emails. Um, you can send them to our new email address. It's uh, Steve at SIT80s.com or Brad at SIT80s.com. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for a mystery movie moment. Uh, we'll play a snippet of a movie from the 80s. If you get it right, you are entered into a drawing to get the bottle openers that are so coveted by our listeners. Pay attention. Here's the clip from last show. Grasshopper disassemble. Yes, that short circuit, which, uh, by the way, also just turned 30 years old. Oh, amazing. And did not crack the top 10. Oh, how'd that not happen? It might have been in the top 20. Come to think of it, it might have just barely missed, if I recall, if I were looking earlier. Brad, why don't you read some of the winners? I'm sporting a tremendous list, Spearsy. Winners this week include Amy Ningen, Just Drew, Kevin Serving Winch, Marissa in Kankakee, Christina in the Salt City, John in Phoenix, Tom, your clothes, give them to me, in Austria, Phil from Adelaide, Jesse Smith, DJ in Clinton, Crockett from Rubik's Cubed, and Vavavoom Julie Nelson, to whom we say we're glad number five is still alive. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. I got a bomb here. I'll kill her. I'll blow this whole place up. Go ahead. I don't shock her. If you know it, email us at steve at sitas.com or brad at sitas.com and tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. Ah, the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. Uh, you know the drill by now. We'll play a piece of a song from the 80s. If you get it right, again, you're entered into the drawing for the uh, bottle opener. Uh, here was the clip from our last show. That's Still Loving You by the Scorpions. Yes, I've heard your pride and all what you've been through. You should give me a chance. Just give me the end. I'm still loving it. I'm still Can you believe those guys are celebrating their 50th anniversary this year with a tour? Scorps. Scorps. Uh, yeah, so they're not stuck in the 80s. They're like stuck in the 60s. We are not stuck in the 80s. We are still doing things. This is wonderful. 50 they're going to be stuck in their 80s here before. Yeah, <laughs> they'd be Got lucky it. to do it. Yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty soon, I'm sure. Uh, oh, boy. We have a lot of winners this week. Well, this was a good clip. Go ahead, Brad. Winners this week include Oliver the Bard Bardenhire, Rush Cress, Don in Tulsa, Edward Martinez, Brandy Farrow, Tim in Pennsylvania, Kurt in Dirty Jersey, Rodney, please give me a link to Deborah Foreman's Facebook page, Bell, Christine in Philly, Steve, I do not want a Dutch oven sturgeon, Daisha <laughs> and Steve Ramos, Alex Sticks, Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico, Calvin Sands, OJ from La Caruna, Spain, and Peter Ryan in Montreal. Let's spin the wheel and find out who won. And it looks like it's going to end on... Wow, Steve Sturgeon gets a Dutch oven after all. Woohoo! 
Yeah, you can get that from Steve, but send me a mailing address. I'll send you a bottle opener and a can of Lysol. <laughs> There's at least two or three people who emailed me to say they, too, did not know what Dutch oven was until they Googled it, and then they were sorry that they did. Yeah. Well, that's so. we, we educate, we entertain, and we horrify. <laughs> Pay attention. Here's the tune for this week. If you know it, no Dutch oven required. Just email us. And tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Prepare to download this commercial. Three, two, one. Hey, Stuckanese fans. Uh, we now have a special offer for you from Audible, the leader in audiobooks. Audible is now a partner with Stuck in the 80s, and they're offering you a free audiobook download. That's right, the F word, free. All you have to do is sign up for a free 30-day trial so you can check out Audible services. Now, I'd love to say that we're beating away potential sponsors with baseball bats around here. But the truth is we've always tried to be cautious about who we team up with. Uh, we'd like our sponsors to be companies with products we think are related to Stuck in the 80s and to you. That's why we teamed up with the 80s Cruise, and that's why we're now teaming up with Audible. We know a lot of you listen to our show on long commutes, and we figured audiobooks are a great way to spend your time when you don't have a fresh episode of Stuck in the 80s to listen to. So do yourself a favor. Hey, do us a favor. Give Audible a try. To download your free audio book today, go to audibletrial.com slash stuck in the 80s. Again, that's audibletrial.com stuck in the 80s for your free audio book. You'll be doing us a real solid. We're back. We have just a few minutes left, and as promised, we have some trivia questions. Uh, so let's play a little Let's Get Trivial, sponsored by the 80s Cruise. Today's victim is, of course, Jeff in Cuba slash South Carolina. Are you ready? I am as ready as I'll ever be. Let's do uh, this. Quite obviously, we're going to give you five questions on Top Gun. But first, we're going to kick the tires and light the fires. <laughs> yes, because we feel the need, the need for speed. And can I tell you that that, that chestnut has been recycled so many times throughout my Navy career, like at the Naval Postgraduate School, I feel the need, the need to read or maybe. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> or how about this one in line at the Naval Hospital at the blood drive? I feel the need, the need to bleed. But my personal favorite, the one that takes the cake is uh, standing in line for the ever popular random drug analysis that all military personnel have to undergo. And someone says, I feel the need, the need to have peed. Oh. Anyway. I also heard there's you get fined if you quote the movie or make a reference to the movie at the actual Top Gun school. I, I wouldn't know that. <laughs> Let's just I, say yes. That sounds good radio. Like fined, yeah. Good radio. <laughs> uh, we've long forgotten what good radio sounds like, so let's just get on with the quiz. Uh, five questions today instead of three. Question number one. Number one. In the beginning of Top Gun, when Maverick and Goose find out they're going to Top Gun, their commander gives them a warning. What will happen to them, Jeff, if they screw this up? Oh, they will be flying rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong or Shanghai. They will be moving rubber dog shit from one part of the world to another uh, because we all know that's a key part of the logistics. Isn't that it? Isn't that it? That's it. You screw up just this much. You'll be flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Yes, sir. Sweet. We have now surpassed the uh, maximum number of times we can say the word in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the censors are going to have a field day with this one. You think Deborah <laughs> Foreman has a potty mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till okay. I get started. <laughs> Question number two. Number two. What is the name of the aircraft carrier that Maverick is on in the movie? 
Uh, Enterprise? Oh, he pulls that one out of nowhere. That was quick. Okay. Nice. Boy, your Google search is really fast. Well, also taking the Big E? No, we would have have taken the Big E, or we would have also taken USS Ranger, which was actually the boat on which it was filmed. Right. No. Okay. Wow. Okay, that was the the big one. It's all downhill from here. Uh, (laughs) But it's a lovely ride. (laughs) For those listening, now's a good time as any to turn it off. Oh. Question number three. Number three. At the Top Gun School, where is the award plaque for the alternates, meaning the team that comes in second? Is it in the bathroom? Which Isn't bathroom? It? Which, which in bathroom? the women's, in the ladies' room? Yes. The uh, plaque for the alternates is down in the ladies' room. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, you kill me. You really do. <laughs> Number four. Uh, number four is a uh, Brad and L.A. special. What kind of car does Charlie drive? Isn't it a Carmen Ghia ragtop? Ferdinand Porsche is rolling in his grave. Oh, all right. So it's fine. It's a Porsche. All those German cars are the same. Volkswagen. <laughs> Ferdinand Porsche was a Volkswagen designer, was he not? The unmistakable clatter of the air-cooled Volkswagen engine is coming from that car. Fine. It's a 356 Speedster. Back then, probably a $100,000 car. Now it's probably a quarter of a million. In all fairness, I did tell people to turn off the show. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Moving on. All right. Number five. Question number five. What does Maverick do to denote he has gotten over Goose's death? <sighs> he goes down on the elevator and chucks Goose's dog tags into the ocean. Even though he's fighting like a 20-knot headwind that's blowing spray in his face. <laughs> and yet somehow the dog tags do not clatter back into... Smack him upside the head. <laughs> but yes. You know, that's really funny that you would say that. I've always had a problem with that scene because it's kind of a dick move. Like, don't you think his wife and kids would have liked to have those? Well, yeah. I don't know. Constant reminder, daddy's dead. Well, uh, I don't know. Well, no, the, the point is, his wife would have them and would have to give them to uh, Maverick. Oh, hmm. I hadn't considered when that. When, That's true. When, when you distribute your personal effects after you die, there's, there's no there's no dibs rule for your buddies. Unless uh, Maverick, like, snagged them off of his body while they were in the ocean waiting to get picked. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really kind of creepy. I can just yeah. see it now. The, the personnel officer goes in his life goes, man, I'm terribly sorry, but... Uh, Lieutenant J.G. Bradshaw changed his uh, final dependent to a uh, Maverick here, so uh, <laughs> they were really close. Yeah, so he'll be getting uh, he'll be getting his life insurance and all his personal effects. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm sure he'll chuck him into the ocean at appropriate time. <laughs> okay, time to decide. Moment of truth. Have we all reached a verdict on uh, an individual verdict on this movie? Uh, Brad, is this a classic or not so classic? It's a cartoon. Jeff, uh, what is your verdict on Top Gun? Oh, I have uh, I've made a I've made a journey with with Top Gun. It was obviously great when it came out, and then I, like most people, grew weary of uh, how hollow it rang uh, for for years, and uh, and all the little issues with it kind of grated on me. Uh, but now I've sort of come to peace, and I'm willing to take it for what it is. It's uh, it's a it's a Hollywood story, uh, you know, told through the lens of Navy trappings. Now, would I like it better if it was a Navy story uh, that was honestly and uh, dramatically told through Hollywood trappings? Yes, yes, I would. Uh, but that is not the movie it was, and I've learned to accept it for what it is. Uh, and so I'm okay with it. It is a good movie. Um, it will never be a great movie. Uh, but it is very good at what it does. There. Very political. <laughs> I, will, yeah, I mean, when I say it's a cartoon, I like to watch cartoons, but it's not great cinema. I will take the third view and say, loved it then, still love it today. Um, the big bowl of buttered popcorn and a, a big glass of wild turkey and uh, some leftovers from Red Lobster. I, I will consume this movie any night. <laughs> 
Jeff, thank you again for coming back to uh, to the show. It has been too long. We should do this more often. Yes, I we agree. Because this has seriously been one of the most fun shows we've done in a long time. All right. Uh, in the meantime, Bradley and I, and Jeff from Cuba, will be flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong because we are hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a class of 85 production. This is really good. This is one of the, I feel really good about this show. Oh, way to jinx it. Jesus. Now it's all (laughs) going to come apart.